Hi, my name is Skipper Chong Warson, and I'm a design director in San Francisco. Welcome to How This Works. This is a show where I invite people on to talk about something that they know or some topic they know incredibly well. And today I have Amy Kim Waski with me. Thanks for being here, Amy. Thanks, Skipper, for having me. So I wonder if we can kick things off by talking a little bit about you, discovering more about you as a person, sort of who you are, where you've come from. So when you meet people for the first time, how do you introduce yourself? Hi, I'm Amy Kimwaski, and I'm an actor. <laughs> Great introduction. Um, so I want to dive a little bit deeper into that. Can you tell me just a little bit more? Sure. Um, I didn't actually start acting until I was in college. When I was younger, I was always in the performing arts. I was a dancer and focused mostly on ballet. And then when I went to undergrad at the University of Washington, I met Robin Hunt. And she is a teacher who taught a specific physical acting method called the Suzuki method. Mm. And this physical method was created by um, Tadashi Suzuki in the, in the 70s. And Mr. Suzuki focused on creating certain disciplines to physically strengthen actors because he felt like actors were getting away from their kind of natural, primal, animal instincts. Mm. As we, as a society, become more civilized, um, that he was watching actors become more... Um, like talking heads, you know what I mean? Mm, uh, okay. And so he created a method that was physically rigorous, that focused on building a lot of like lower body muscle strength, mm. breath control, mm. and then kind of um, being really aware of your, of your center of gravity. And because I'd been a dancer for so long, Skipper, I, I was just more adept at this style of acting. And so I got sucked in. <laughs> so that, that part of being really physical in your body to inhabit a character or to inhabit potentially someone that wasn't yourself, that's something that really spoke to you. Absolutely. And even today, I mean, it is so ingrained in how I work now, like how I approach a role that I feel like I can know uh, if once I'm up on my feet acting, um, and away from the table, mm -hmm. that's when I feel like mm -hmm. I really start to um, fully embody a character. Okay. Um, I want to dive into that a little bit more in just a moment, but I want to sort of round out sort of our introduction part of you, because Amy, I know that there are many things about you um, that are not just about being an actor. Um, what's something else that someone might not guess about you? Something you feel comfortable sharing? I think probably that I'm adopted. Okay. Yeah. Even though I have a very German last name, I think that people make assumptions that, you know, that, that maybe that's like a married, you know, name or something like that. Sure. Um, but I think people, when I tell them I'm adopted, they're always surprised. I think that part of that reason is that for so long, Skipper, I really struggled with my identity. Mm. And I struggled with this feeling of being not quite fully Asian. 
Mm. Which, what is that? Right? right. Of course, that's like such a ridiculous thing um, or somehow not authentically Asian. Right. Sure. Which is, um, you know, there's so many different kinds of Asian and no matter who you are, you are authentically yourself. It, it sure. shouldn't matter. But I spent a lot of time feeling like I was kind of an imposter, Mm. I didn't necessarily want people to to think that I was any less Asian than someone who was raised in an Asian American family or an Asian family. Sure. And so some people may have guessed um, already from your middle name, Kim, that is it fair to say that you are 100% Korean? Yeah, I was born in Korea okay. in Makpo and I came to the States when I was a baby. Okay. So, yeah. I, I, that, I, that's how I identify as a Korean American adoptee. Yeah. I'm really proud of, um, well, of who, who I am. And I'm actually in a really interesting place in my life right now because, you know, the pandemic happened yeah. and I've been really thinking about, you know, I, I hadn't looked for any birth parents before, mm. but I started to realize my birth parents could be of an age where they'd be high risk mm. for COVID and could could have died. Sure. Right? Sure. I mean, and so I started to kind of look more into my adoption and also into the process of adoption itself. And it's been really um, kind of an eye-opening experience for me um, because I used to feel like I had to be that I had to be so careful mm. in order not to, you know, in, hurt my adoptive parents in any way. Sure. Um, in in wanting to know more about my um, my roots. Yeah. And um, and what I've come to realize is that we have, as adoptees, we have every right to know our origins. Right. In the same way that you know people that are biological children do. Yeah. I have every right to know if I have biological sisters and brothers. That's right. I'm, it's a very, um, and so as I, what diseases or conditions might run in your family? Sure. Medical history. Absolutely. Um, it's just been a really, um, interesting process and I will admit a somewhat painful process, but I am, I'm glad I'm going through it. I would also add that you are incredibly close to your adoptive parents. I am. And because we're recording this episode while the fires in Oregon are happening, Oregon, California, and some parts of Washington State, um, you've actually evacuated your home um, with your husband and you're with your adopted parents right now in Washington. (laughs) It's true. They're upstairs making, we're we're making... um, we're making dumplings today, so they're oh, upstairs that's working on that, and I'm, I'm with you. <laughs> well, Amy, thank you for making time, and we'll get into our conversation and get you back to making dumplings. Yeah, sure. There is so much about being a Korean-American adoptee, what you just mentioned, um, and I feel like we could almost spend an entire episode talking about that. Everything from racial identity to self-worth to cultural identity, um, what happens in the nature versus nurture, tug of war, um, all of those things. But the thing that we are meant to talk about today is about you being a theater actor. Of course. 
So um, I want to go back to your world. You were introduced to the Suzuki method when you were at University of Washington. Um, what happens? What happens during that time, and what happens after that? So, um, so I started acting, and I really you know, got the bug for it. I, Mm. not only did I love, you know, creating characters and I loved performing, I've always loved performing because of dance. And, um, but I also, I really love the people. Mm. Theater people are the most fun, entertaining, brilliant people on the planet. And so, Can you give me an example of that? Maybe one person that you've met in your time as an actor, or maybe it's a sort of a conglomeration? I will say, I I feel that anytime you meet a, an artist, and especially a theater artist, they are the most, they're often the most interesting and brave people you meet. Anybody who has to put themselves out there and give a raw or revealing performance. Yeah. You know, I admire, I so admire that in that person. Um, also, I just find them often to be really funny, sharp, witty <laughs> people. And yeah. um, of course, you want to surround yourself with uh, storytellers, people that sure. have the kind of gift of gab. I yeah. always. I love that. So I do theater because I love telling stories, but I also do theater because I love making friends, having that community, feeling like you are belonging and um, doing something hard together. It's, It's exciting. Well, and I think there's also something inherently different about a theater actor versus um, like a movie and TV actor. There's, on both sides, you have a certain amount of preparation that you go through, the rehearsal process, never mind the audition process of actually getting the role, preparation for the performance. And then night overnight or afternoon after afternoon, you are inhabiting that character with your company members around you, but you don't necessarily have a director yelling cut or you don't have you know, an editor who goes in and recuts the film to make it look a certain way. Um, it is that actor in front of an audience Uh, by themselves. I would absolutely agree with you. And I also think that the chance to, I mean, we always, I think, are striving to dig deeper Mm -hmm. each time we, you know, perform a play. So like I'm a company member at the Oregon Shakespeare Festival and I have been there for five years now. And the kind of brilliant thing about the festival is that two things. You work in rep, meaning that you do multiple roles over the course of a season, Okay, you know, two to three roles. And, and um, rep is short for repertory. Yes, for repertory theater. Yep. And so you might be playing, like last year, I was playing Lady Macbeth th- three times a week, two times a week. And then I was playing um, the Queen of Hearts in Alice in Wonderland two times a week. So you can imagine <laughs> kind of, you know, the, the, the fun of that because, you know, you are allowed to um, deeply explore both roles because you're performing them many, many times. Sure. I mean, you can do as many as like, uh, like one year I did 227 performances, uh, 227 performances. Wow. Yeah. You know, I did uh, Julius Caesar and Hannah and the Drake gazebo and I did them each over a hundred times Wow. now. So you get the, the great joy of like working on a character over a long period of time, 
learning more about them each time and getting to take a crack at it each night and like fix little moments each night so that it's deeper and more interesting and more um, engaging each time. Sure. Um, and then the other joy is, is that you're really, you're enfolded in this company of other brilliant artists mm -hmm. and learning from them. Um, and I would say learning from all of them, not just the veterans who have been there at the company for 20, 25, 30, 35 years, you know, but also sure. from the new people coming in who bring their experience from other places. So, um, you know, it's funny to talk about your work as a family, but I do feel like that's what I get there. Yeah. And I feel lucky to have that. Yeah, it sounds like it. So I wanted, I want you to rewind a little bit and take me from your life at University of Washington, so um, UW, to Oregon Shakes. What have, what did you do? Like, what sort of happened to you in between? Because Oregon Shakes is, you said you've been there for five years, but that's still fairly new for you. Right. That's the most recent thing, rather. It's not new. It's the most recent thing for you. <laughs> so, you know, I after the University of Washington, I took a few years off because I had, I was so, I come to acting so late um, that I kind of thought, well, I don't know if this is exactly, you know, when you're an undergrad, you don't necessarily know this is going to be my life path. Some people sure. know that. And I've feel like, wow, those people are so lucky. But sure. for myself, I was like, well, I know I like theater and I know I like acting, but maybe there's something else I can do. So I spent, I took a brief stint working at the um, Seattle Repertory Theater in their education department. Okay. And I taught a lot of theater and I thought that was really great. I enjoyed it a lot. Um, but I was still performing at night, mm. downtown Seattle theater. Mm. And I couldn't, I, I just did not feel complete unless I was doing a play. So at that point, I decided, you know, three years later, I thought, you know, this is going to be my career. So I went back to get more training and I went to grad school again at the University of Washington. Okay. And then as soon as I finished that program three years later, I, um, I moved to New York mm. immediately mm. and got an agent and started um, auditioning out of New York that time. And New York was actually so formative for me because of course in grad school you're learning all these different techniques right I was learning the Suzuki method and I had Strasbourg training and I had Alexander method which is for those of you that don't know Alexander is a way of using your learning to use your body most efficiently using all your resources to use it so okay. I was practicing I learned all of these things, but then it takes a while for you to distill how you are going to approach your work. Sure. So I... And there's um, also a difference between the academic training to, to sort of be in initially introduced to a method, but then to actually put it into practice, into like practical use. I absolutely agree. And I think I learned the most kind of working every, every show I worked on, every job I got is where, you know, you really do the most of your learning. I mean, I continue to learn today. I still learn on every single project I have, sure. which is, well, which is good. Otherwise, what a bore I would be. <laughs> but, um, <laughs> but in New York, I 
was really lucky because this gal I knew from grad school, Jennifer Gillespie, she had a friend of hers from high school. She went to high school in college in Toronto, actually. And a a friend of hers had a theater company in New York called the Vampire Cowboys. Mm. And she said, I think you should audition for Robert's company. Uh, this is Robert Ross Parker. He was one of the artistic directors, and the other is Kui Gwyn. Okay. And I said, okay, yeah, um, I will. I think, you know, she said, I think you guys would like each other. And I fell in with the Vampire Cowboys, and that was probably, I mean, that is the company I worked with the most in New York. Okay. They were my main collaborators. I did several shows with them and countless workshops and salons and all these different things, which were quite fun. And the thing about the Vampire Cowboys, and as you might guess, listeners from their kind of crazy name, is that they were a downtown theater company who had kind of a big cult following because they had their own style of theater that they like to call geek theater. Geek theater. Okay. Geek theater. Yeah. (laughs) And it was almost like um, a comic book style of theater. And their plays, which were written by Kui Gwyn, which some people may know, um, his, his play Viet Gone became quite famous. In, um, and um, he's also written um, another play, Poor Yellow Rednecks, which is about, which was done at South Coast Rep last year. His plays are, uh, they really play with style and genre. They're mm. incredible mashups. So you, a vampire cowboy show will always have uh, a mix of genre. It will always have um, these outrageous fights. It will have puppetry. It will have singing. It will have dance, you know, breaks. It will have um, uh, raps. It will, it will. It's a big style mashup, but they are always funny and uh, touching and brave. And always you play, you know, like five characters each, you know what I mean? Like <laughs> here, you, you can imagine like we're, you know, downtown theater you're doing in New York, you're just like backstage. You don't really have a crew. You're just kind of like w- wiggling in and out of costumes in the dark <laughs> as fast as you can. Sure. You know? So a challenge, so a challenge both for, or, or, or sounds like quite a spectacle for audience members, but then also quite a challenge for actors as well. Absolutely. I mean, we, we wore so many masks, you know, in, in doing that. And so it was really, it was a really, uh, I feel like I kind of honed my comedy chops that way, but also, um, just did a lot of character work. Sure. It's great. And we actually just did a show. I mean, this company has, like I joined them in 06 and they were happening before that. So, you know, they've been around, I think, 20 years. Yeah. And we just did a show at the Geffen Playhouse called Revenge Song. Um, and that's in Los Angeles, right? That's in Los Angeles. Yeah. And um, it was a new Vampire Kaiba show, show and um, got to reunite with a lot of my my friends, which was really fun. That sounds fun. So... University of Washington, New York City, and now you're you're in Oregon. Um, right. I got to Oregon because I wanted to work with Mary Zimmerman. Mary Zimmerman won the Tony Award for Metamorphoses. Mm. Um, I want to say in I want to say in two thousand one. Okay. 
but is also a MacArthur Genius Grant winner and an amazing director. Uh, and she's known for Arabian Nights, The Odyssey, uh, and the show I did, The White Snake. Okay. And at the time, you know, I was living in New York and I was, you know, working out of town a fair bit, doing a lot of regional theater. And, and I had all, I'd seen uh, Metamorphoses uh, when I was in Seattle okay. working at the Seattle Rep. And I thought, I love this director. I want to work with this director. When my agent said, oh, you know, the Oregon Shakespeare Festival is doing this new Mary Zimmerman piece. Mm. Um, do you want to audition for it? I said, well, uh, yes. Uh, <laughs> but I actually didn't know very much about the Oregon Shakespeare Festival. Okay. And it was Bill Rausch, who was the artistic director then, that ultimately uh, brought me out and Mary cast me. And and it was an incredible place to work. And I and it was a, a beautiful show. Mm. Uh, it was based on a classic Chinese uh, fairy tale. Um, the White Snake story in China is just about as popular as like Cinderella is to Americans, I right? See. So it's a very, very popular fable about a snake spirit who falls in love with a mortal man mm. and decides to disguise herself as a as a woman and kind of live this happy domestic life with this man she loves. And then this evil monk, which is quite funny because we always think of monks as being so, you know... Prim and well, proper. Not evil. Right, <laughs> we right. think of them as being, you know you know, quite good people, it's, you know, uh, works to separate them right. and to reveal her, you know, to him as, as, as the snake spirit that she is. And, sure. um, and it's a story about love and, and, and loving somebody no matter who they are or what they are quite beautiful. Yeah. And, uh, and I did that show with Mary and, we ended up touring that show across the country and to China. Yeah. That's but that's fantastic. how I got introduced to OSF. And so when um, Bill um, asked me to come back in 2016, I said yes, because it was kind of a, I mean, OSF is a very special place. There's, there's very few rep theater companies in, in, in the country. Um, and there's very few Shakespeare festivals in the country that, you have a resident company of actors. And so, you know, it's a very special yeah. place. And um, for listeners who don't know, can you tell us a little bit more about where Oregon Shakes is situated in Oregon? Sure. Um, so uh, the Oregon Shakespeare Festival is in Ashland, Oregon. Okay. Um, it has an 85-year history. It is, right now, my community is really hurting because we have been i'm sorry i'm getting upset it's okay it's okay devastated by the um oregon wildfires the almeda fire yeah. and the glendower fire and that that fortunately spared ashland but because of the north um blowing winds that were so strong it ripped through our neighboring towns of talent and phoenix mm. and so many of my company members, um, the Oregon Shakespeare Festival is a big organization and it has 550 employees. 
And um, so many people in our community lost their homes and, and we're experiencing some deep loss and some terrible smoke, toxic, dangerous smoke. And, um, and right now I will say the upside about it is that I've been so proud of our company members because they leapt right in and created, um, an OSF safety net committee Mm. that is doing incredible work, um, fundraising for those have lost their homes, creating a donation center, a food bank, um, for, and I'm not talking about just for OSF people. I'm talking about for the community at large. Sure. So. And and this is already on top of, so the wildfires that have very recently occurred. So that's already on top of what's going on in this country around COVID-19. Skipper, it's been, it's been a year. It has been (laughs) one of the most challenging years. What an understatement. Um, that I can remember. both personally and professionally. And then the pandemic, which has stopped all live, pretty much all live theater across the country. And, you know, I think what people forget is, you know, there's been such a focus, especially by our president to preserve the economy and they're, you know, allowing so many people to die just as long as our, economy strong, the stock market strong, but there will never be a true recovery for our country um, until we also recover the arts and culture. Sure. It's a huge industry. Yeah. You know, it's uh, $877 billion. <laughs> That's what it brings to our economy. Wow. <laughs> so, um, and it employs almost... 5.1 million people. So, wow. yeah. So, and we're not just talking about actors um, such as you are, right? but we're talking about people who work backstage. We're talking about people who work in the administration offices. We're mm-hmm. talking about, you know, folks who run the theater themselves. Like they come in and they, they clean after a performance. Sure. So they're, they're just ton- light operators. There are just a ton of people who work in these fields who have spent years perfecting their craft as well. That's so true. It is not, it's, it's not, I mean, yes, we are the most public face probably. Right. Um, in terms of art workers, actors certainly can be, uh, but I would say you just have to remember how many people it takes. I mean, that's when I said, wanted to say like the Oregon Shakespeare Festival employs 550 people and just know that the company, the acting company is only usually about a hundred wow. people. There's yeah. all those people the backstage and, and in production who build the sets and build the costumes and, right. um, and develop, Meant who raised the money so we can put right. on the plays. Oh, you know, right. There's all those things, and of course that's so true in the in in um, pretty much all arts arts organizations, and, yeah. and certainly in our in our uh, film industry too. Sure. Now, where was I going with this? <laughs> I was just going to say. <laughs> um, so anyway, we are having a very tough year because yeah. of the pandemic. Right. And then. Um, the wildfires that are burning through California and Oregon yeah. and Washington yeah. are also um, greatly affecting things. And um, and I'm just so hopeful, Skipper, that come November, we will vote in 
the Biden-Harris ticket. Yeah. Yeah. And have real leadership in the White House. And hopefully, um, you know, someone who listens to Dr. Fauci, who does think that live theater will be, it will be, it will not co- go back to the norm of what we remember of full, you know, um, capacity theaters. Sure. But there will be a time in 2021 where Dr. Fauci thinks somewhere in the middle to late part of 2021 that people will be able to be socially distanced within the theater, wearing masks, and it will be different. But I know that live theater will always prevail. And this is why I know. I mean, just think of how long it's already prevailed. Sure. The Greeks, Shakespeare, all of that has has existed for a reason. We as humans, we need the theater to process our times, to process what is happening to us now. Even if it's a historical play, all those things that Shakespeare wrote about, those are universal human problems. And we are still you know, with many of them, sadly, grappling with many of them. Right. And we need the theater to to go and to move us and change us and hopefully learn something new. I, I think it's um, definitely a cathartic experience. Yeah. And I think what's so interesting about theater is that, you know, we as humans have these mirror neurons. Have you heard about mirror neurons? I have, but I'd love for you to talk a little bit more about maybe folks who haven't. Sure. Yeah. So we have these in our in our prefrontal cortex, we have, you know, all our neurons are firing. So anytime like. I, you know, go to lift a pencil or a cup of coffee or do something like that, um, those neurons are firing. When I watch someone do that very same thing, Mm -hmm. my mirror neurons are firing and they are telling me kind of like a, like a, they're giving like a virtual reality simulation in my mind of, of, what that is. And so when people go to the theater, we can watch somebody on stage lose a child Mm. or dissolve a marriage or, or, um, you know, hold the hand of their, you know, father as they're dying. Yeah. Yeah. And we can empathize with that and know how it feels and maybe have our own personal catharsis. Yeah. Can you tell me, Amy, what's a principle that you always follow um, in your work as a theater actor? Hmm. I, I try always to be honest in the moment. Hmm. I strive to be as present with my scene partner as I possibly can be. I try to remember that it is, that it is me, but I, I'm just happen to be going through these circumstances that the character is going through. Sure. I try to bring as much of myself to it as possible because that's what makes it human and interesting. Sure. I, um, 
I try to remember to be generous with myself. Mm. I think that's so hard, actually, because, you know, I think, you know, I absolutely know that I am my absolute worst critic, but I have to like leave a project and say, okay, you know, I learned this and I learned that. And, uh, and next time I'm going to give it another go. Mm. Um, and if you can't be generous with yourself, then actually I don't know how you do the career. Right. I don't, I don't know because there's so much rejection in it. There's so much no from, you know, the auditioning level, you know, and then you've got critics who may, you know, give you great reviews sometimes or maybe give you like, you know, terrible reviews. And then you have to be like, okay, that's that person's opinion. That's that's right. And, uh, and generous with myself and then really generous with others too. Yeah. So I know that we are in a very challenging time, right? In Mm -hmm. terms of. Uh, the recent fires in the West, um, the pandemic that's still raging. Talk to me a little bit about like, what is, what is your larger goal that you want to achieve as an actor? It's funny because I've always just wanted to be a working actor. (laughs) I know that sounds very like, you know, but I've always just want to be working on projects that I think are interesting. Sure. And, and as I've gotten older, that and, you know, further on in my career, that's more possible. Like I can say right. no to things that, you know, maybe just don't speak to me. Not that they're bad projects, but that they sure. just don't, that I look at, that I, maybe I read the script and I'm like, yeah, that just doesn't, um, you know, set the fire in me. Yeah, it doesn't strike a chord. Uh, yeah, right? And that's the thing that I'm always kind of looking for. Like, because when you do find the right project yeah. and you are happen to be with a, you know, a great cast and maybe you also have a brilliant director and you have an amazing team of designers and everything, the producers are great and everything kind of comes together. There is something that is, it feels like magic, it's kismet. It's something, it's so unexplainable and, and exciting that when you have one of those shows, I mean, that's the thing I'm, I feel like I'm always chasing because you Mm. don't have that many experiences in your career. Like I could probably name only like maybe three experiences. And and, I mean, I had this like 20 years, right. Where (laughs) I, where I felt like everything came together to make something that was truly special. Sure. And, um, and so I like, I'm, it's like, I'm an addict. Like yeah. I'm chasing that. Yeah. That high of, of, I don't know that magic performance. So you want your, so if, if your current number is three, <laughs> then you want your, you want your four and five. <laughs> I definitely want my four. <laughs> Heck, I want a hundred. I mean, I'm going to keep acting, Skipper, until I can't remember the lines anymore. And even then, I know I'm going to fight hard. Like, I'll just probably, like, write them on my hand and, like, try to... 
Fake, fake it till you make it. But, but you know, that's the thing. Like, it's so funny. People are like, oh, you know, whenever, you know, when you retire at 65, I'm like, I'm not going to retire at 65. I'm going to keep acting until I literally cannot speak anymore right. or move anymore. Right. Or, you know, it's so, it is, it's, the, it's, Ah, that's going to sound so cheesy, but it's where I love myself the most. Yeah. Right. It's like, I feel greatly, you know, being an artist is so tied into who I am and it's, it's tied into my, um, humanity and my integrity and my activism, everything. Yeah. So I'll stop when I drop. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) Well, I would also Which hopefully won't be anytime soon. <laughs> hopefully, n- knock on wood, not anytime soon. I would offer that that's such a wonderful counterpoint, and what a great discovery. Because when we first started, um, your description of discovering acting, um, you were unsure about whether or not this was something you wanted to do. Right? Uh, yeah. And now yeah, you are fully cemented and firm, and like you're going to do this as long as you possibly can. Thanks for reflecting that back to me, Skipper, because, you know, I actually haven't thought about it that way. And actually, that's really true. Yeah, I guess I think that I've been thinking about how important it is to me more now because of the pandemic. Sure. And because I haven't had the same as many opportunities to to do it. And of course, I'm doing my best, like many theater actors, we're doing these a lot of Zoom um, readings or performances. Mm-hmm. And that medium, I'm learning a lot about that medium, which I do find tricky because I am such a physical actor yeah. that suddenly to feel a little boxed in by the computer screen, sure. um, that is, is you know, I'm flexing a new muscle, sure. essentially. Yeah. And it's, it's good to learn. Great to learn. Always good to learn. But I think it's my, my longing for live performance is you know, been really, um, well, it's just been hard on my heart and, um, and I can't wait till we get back to it, but of course I will wait until it's safe to do so. Yeah. Is there anything else, um, in thinking about the acting component, is there anything else that you want to talk about? Is there anything that you feel like we've missed in our conversation? There was one thing I wanted to bring up about, um, about advice. Mm. If there was like some advice for, um, folks that are maybe starting out as actors and, um, trying to figure out what, you know, how to go about it. Okay. And I would say a couple of things. Um, one, um, know that eventually, you know, kind of like Ira Glass says, you know, you, you, when you start something, your taste level is very high, but then, you know, your skill level is not, doesn't quite meet your taste. And so, um, it will get better the more and more you do it. Sure. And and your skill will at some point meet your taste level. Of course, I'm, I'm telling you this, even though I myself feel like, you know, I have not met my taste level yet, but that's good. You know, keep learning. Right. And then I would say, if you're thinking about graduate school, I would say definitely go to grad school in the town that you think you might want to work. Oh, okay. 
someplace near because you'll get a chance to kind of build your network of casting directors and directors earlier um, and playwrights too um, because they will have a chance to get to know you while you're in school. Sure. And um, you'll kind of be a step ahead of other folks when you get out. And then um, I guess maybe the only other thing I would say is um, be kind to yourself and remember that you're not in competition with anybody else. Sure. It's just, it's just you with yourself. Yeah. So don't beat yourself up. Yeah. It's challenging sometimes to play that game of what if, right? What if I would have landed that role a couple of years ago? What if mm. I would have, someone would have discovered me in the right way. But the reality is, is that I, I think you have to keep working with the people around you because it's, you're not sort of, competing against them. I mean, you are in a way because there's a finite number of roles, but you're actually working with them. This is part of your community. And there are all sorts of reasons why a role or a production doesn't come to fruition. Amy, I love your advice about nurturing your community and really making sure that you're giving Mm. as much as you're receiving in that moment. I mean, as I told you before, the reason I got into it is because of the people. Yeah. You know, I love actors. I love artists. Yeah. And, um, you know, so that even means that, you know, when I go into the audition room, um, maybe I'm in the waiting room and I see, you know, the the group of gals that are my type. <laughs> I'm always happy to see sure. them. I always want good things for yeah. them. I want us all to rise up together. Yeah. Such a great metaphor. So we could talk on and on about acting, but I want to bring things to a close and so as my last question to you, what's something that you wished you learned earlier? Like maybe some sort of life lesson that you carry with you now? I think it has a lot to do with where we are right now with the pandemic and with, um, and with what happened in Oregon with the fires. But I've been feeling a lot of fear and anxiety. Mm what I've been really trying to do is, um, I, I meditate more and I really question what the fear is based in. Mm. You know, are these wild assumptions that I'm having or some of it, you know, if you look at the news does feel very real. (laughs) Sure. But, um, I guess just, and depending on which channel you are watching as well. That's true. That's yeah. very true. But I think that the the main thing is is you can't you can't live that way. No. Obviously, it's no. not healthy to live that way. Right. And I've seen people who've been so twisted by fear. Um people I'm close to. Um and I don't you know want to conduct my life that way. So I've been really every time um something like that comes up for me, I'm really trying to, to, to ask myself, Amy, is this based in reality? Is this, is this in your mind? Is this, well, and what, and I kind of extrapolate it out. Like, what does it mean if like, this is like a silly fear, but like, what does it mean if you think you've offended that person? Mm. Mm. You know, yeah. you, if it's really bothering you, I guess you better ask them directly <laughs> or you, uh, or you need to let it go. Sure. So, um, 
not sit with it and carry that with you. Yeah. And, um, so in a time when we've, we're all feeling a lot of anxiety or a lot of us are feeling anxiety, um, I'm just trying to kind of get regrounded and, um, and really kind of, um, kind of parse out what is real and what is my, um, wild imagination, (laughs) (laughs) which is helpful. And then also just to be really compassionate with myself, which I've said, I think I've said that, like, I talk about generosity and, and, um, that a lot because I, I talk about it a lot because I struggle with it a lot. Mm. And so not, I'm incredible. I, I would say that I am a person who is always more generous to another person mm. than I am to myself. Mm. And so that's something that I'm, you know, I'm trying to, to do every day. Yeah. Be a little kinder mm-hmm. to yourself, not, not, uh, and other people as well. And other people, but yeah. you know, to myself. That's right. Well, Amy, I think this is a great place to pause our conversation. Mm-hmm. Where can people find out more about you um, and what you have coming up next? Um, I, you can find me at my website, amykimw.com. Oh, nice. Um, amykimw.com. You know, I made a note for myself while you were speaking. I only hope that I do credit to our conversation in a way that makes it accessible and useful to other people. Because as a theater actor, as my friend, And as an awesome person in the world, I learned so much about you today. And thank you for making time and space to talk to me. Thanks. I'm sure you will. You're so smart. Well, uh, but we're talking about like that, that skills confidence mismatch, right? Like I, (laughs) I have the confidence for sure. Well, thank you, Amy. I won't keep any longer from making dumplings with your parents and with Moses. I'm always happy to chat with you and thanks for listening to how this works please subscribe and leave us a review in your favorite podcast app we're just starting and so it would be ultra helpful if you could tell just one other person about the show and why they should listen to it you can find how this works online at howthisworks.show it's three words again that's howthisworks.show and also in the places where social media happens thanks for holding this space with me today and we'll talk again soon audience and let's say you're watching Macbeth okay or I should say the Scottish play um, <laughs> that's right we say, don't we don't say the name of the play for anyone who's superstitious <laughs>